Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, established in 1872, the village of Mount Cory is turning 150 years old. We have details on their sesquicentennial celebration this weekend. Also coming up, September is Baby Safety Month. Is your home properly child-proofed? We have some places to look and steps to take. And members of the cast will join us to preview the upcoming Fort Findlay Playhouse production of the comedy, The Savannah Sipping Society. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, September 15th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is Greenpeace Day. Also, the International Day of Democracy. International Dot Day. Butterscotch Cinnamon Pie Day. Hmm. It is Google.com Day. Google.com registered as a domain name on this day in 1997. Google itself did not launch as a web page until... A year later, uh, launched as a web page in a search engine, but the domain was registered on this day in 1997. And you think that's really not all that long ago. Uh, Only, what, 25 years ago or so. I think exactly 25 years, if I do the math in my head here real quickly. Um, And it's amazing just how much our lives have changed in the intervening quarter century, Google.com Day. It is National Double Cheeseburger Day. Not just a cheeseburger, a double cheeseburger day today. Tackle Kids Cancer Day. National Caregivers Day. National Creme de Mint Day. National Linguini Day. And I had to read that twice because, you know, I'm not fully awake yet. When I saw that, at first I thought it said National Lingerie Day. <laughs> but it's Linguini those words look very similar if you're a little groggy-eyed. Uh, on, on the, but two very different meanings. National Linguini Day and National Thank You Day today as well. So, reasons to celebrate today. So, this is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, it's the story of Lauren Singer of New York City. She says she has been living a zero-waste lifestyle for... A decade now, for 10 years, she's been living a zero-waste lifestyle. She makes her own toothpaste, makes her own coffee using a French press, makes her own dog food for her pet, for her pooch named Rose, by the way. Uh, Lauren also has created a company called Package Free. It is a store full of products that minimize packaging. Uh, materials can be reused, refilled, composted, or recycled. But she doesn't throw anything or virtually nothing away. Uh, she says she also shops secondhand and washes her clothes with homemade cleaning products. She explains, quote, I thought that cl- that caring about the environment was enough. Caring, quote unquote, caring about the environment was enough. But it turns out that my lifestyle was creating harm and contributing to the very problem that I was actively talking about fighting against. She said she can fit the last four years worth of her trash, the stuff that she's actually thrown away over the course of four years into a mason jar. Uh, In 2012, she started a blog called Trash for Tossers about her experience transitioning to a zero-waste lifestyle. And I thought kudos to her. I mean, that's uh, you know that's fabulous. Uh, you know, if, if you can if you can do that, more power to you. But who has the time to make their own toothpaste? I mean, seriously, how is it that she can afford? What does she do that she can afford to live in New York City and still find the time to make her own toothpaste? For crying out loud! I mean, at one point, at one point, our pioneer uh, forefathers did that. You know, they made everything themselves and and so on. I mean, they were much more environmentally conscious and environmentally friendly than we are today. And uh, the reason why we go to the store now when we buy toothpaste and we buy cleaning products and we buy 
pet food rather than making our own is because we just don't have the time to do it anymore. And uh, it is so much easier uh, to not have to do this ourselves. But if that's what you're passionate about, I mean, more power, power to you. But I just don't think that that's necessarily reasonable to expect everyone to do that. It's just maybe I'm an old fuddy-duddy, which I am. But uh, anyway, uh, beside the point, I guess. Uh, speaking of environmentally friendly, well, I don't know if this is environmentally friendly so much as uh, just one of those uh, trendy technology things. Now, the nation's first 3D printed multi-story home is now under construction in Texas. It is a 3D printed multi-story home. 4,000 square foot, 4,000 square foot, three bedroom, two bath home is being 3D printed in concrete. Is the, is the material you're using this concrete. They're 3D printing it rather than, I don't know, actually hiring people, to, <laughs> creating jobs, putting people to work, actually constructing. The, no, they're going to just use a giant 3D printer, apparently, to construct this home, printing it in concrete. In northwest Houston, the engineering company involved in the project says the finished home will be able to withstand hurricane-force winds in excess of 130 miles an hour. Again, not so much because it's being 3D printed, but because it's being made out of concrete. You can hire people to do that, but really that's not as trendy. Anyway, the house is being built mainly for research purposes to figure out ways to reduce construction time and costs. Those in the know say a home of this size could eventually be 3D printed, in less than two weeks, which obviously is a lot quicker than homes are generally constructed by conventional means. So there, there is that, but uh, interesting. And uh, by the way, speaking of uh, trendy things and political correctness and all of that in the news, did you happen to see this? The organizers of the 2023 Boston Marathon have announced that they will add a new category for the race, allowing runners to register as either as neither women nor men. You'll have a men's race, have the women's race. That's the way it's typically been uh, broken down. And now they will have a new non-binary category, and you won't have to register as either. And it's just kind of a catch-all for everybody else. You have men, women, everybody else. Men, women, non-binary. Qualifying times for non-binary runners will initially match the, the times for women and then be adjusted for the future based on the actual run times of those in that category. More than 200 races nationwide have now created non-binary categories uh, or allowed runners to register as non-binary. The Philadelphia distance run was the first to award equal prize money in the men's, women's, and non-binary categories. So that's, I suppose that's really the solution. I mean, we have all of this uh, discussion and debate of allowing um, natural-born males who have transitioned to the female gender to participate in women's sports, and is that fair? Uh, I guess the solution is to create an entirely new category for those non-binary individuals, and that would pretty much take care of it. I wonder if the Olympics will eventually do that. I, You have to think that they probably will, won't they? I mean, they probably will. If the demand is there, I guess. Uh, by the way, I'll be... You'll be happy to know, perhaps, or maybe disturbed to know, but I'll just put it out here. I am actually wearing a sweater today. It's the first time, uh, September the 15th, made it to mid-September, and I've actually uh, worn a sweater. Now, uh, in my defense, and I know there are probably people screaming, it is too soon for sweater weather. It is not sweater weather. And I realize that later this afternoon, it's going to be far too warm for a sweater. So when I get home after I'm, I'm done here at the studio, I will shed the sweater. But it's a little chilly this morning, and... In my defense, I will say two things. Number one, this is a light sweater. This is this is not a thick, heavy winter sweater. This is one of those uh, thinner. It's more like a long sleeve shirt than it is a, uh, a sweater. But it's sweater material. It's very thin, though. It's one of those 
uh, fall, spring type. So it is not a heavy winter sweater. So there is that. Uh, and secondly, this, uh, this studio uh, here is like the coldest room in the building. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but it is always the coldest room in the building until we get to the winter time. And... The uh, sun is lower in the sky and uh, starts streaming through the windows here at Lake Cascades. And then this room becomes the hottest <laughs> room in the building. But normally, uh, it is the coldest room in the building. So it's like, I don't know, 42 degrees in, <laughs> in the studio, it seems like. Uh, almost cold enough to see, to see my breath. Um, so there is that. So I'm always... Uh, I'm always cold in here. I'm always wearing, even on the hottest days, I'm wearing long sleeves because it is so doggone cold here. So in my defense, there are a couple of mitigating circumstances, but I just put it out there because uh, if you are like me, you work in a place where it's constantly cold, I have broken the ice for you. I have worn my sweater, so now you can because you know somebody's got to be first and and I'll be first. You're welcome. Uh, the reason I bring this up, a, a new study from Tel Aviv University. I thought this was kind of interesting. New study may explain why women, if guys, if your girlfriend is always or your wife is always borrowing your hoodie or <laughs> or always sitting on the couch with a blanket wrapped in a blanket uh, when it just doesn't seem that that cold. Uh, there is a scientific reason for this, according to the study. Men and women may have evolved over the centuries to feel temperature differently. Uh, and researchers believe <laughs> this is, and I'm not kidding about this, researchers believe it was created as a defense mechanism to create distance between the genders in order to stop clashes or fights over resources in primitive days. From an evolutionary point of view, it is meant to make a couple take some distance from each other so that each individual can enjoy some peace and quiet. <laughs> and that's why men and women feel temperature differently. So, <laughs> so they can take distance from each other and enjoy some peace and quiet. So there you go. You've learned something today. There you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. To get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, becoming mostly sunny today, a high of 79, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 56. The United Way of Hancock County is kicking off its annual campaign this week with a variety of activities. CEO Angela Dabosky says this year's campaign theme is Difference Makers. It's exciting to see Difference Makers around Hancock County get involved. We're offering multiple service projects and interesting difference maker tours. They're all building support for our community's most vulnerable children, families, and individuals, and we're incredibly grateful for that. Learn more about the United Way of Hancock County's 2022 campaign on the website. A new Ohio law allowing teachers and staff to be armed inside schools with only 24 hours of training went into effect this week. Onan's Yolanda Harris talked with the superintendent of a school district near Bell Fountain about the new law. Benjamin Local School District is one Ohio school district considering arming staff under House Bill 99. The most important thing is to guarantee to parents that their kids will be safe and go home safe. The superintendent told us 22 staff members, including teachers, cooks, and secretaries, have volunteered. The 24 hours of training would also include how to stop an active shooter and de-escalate a violent situation. The Buckeye State ranks third nationally in the number of rail miles, and talks continue between the largest freight railroads and their unions in an effort to avoid a strike. Without conductors and engineers, trains will be stopped dead in their tracks, which could have a direct impact on corn, soybeans, and other critical goods like coal and computer chips that move by train. Now, for farmers here in Ohio, especially corn farmers, this means that if crops can't move, it becomes less valuable, and everything that relies on corn and other items that move by train will go up in prices. Onan's Ashley Bornanson reporting. The Finley Police Department has hired a new officer. Chance Collins was recently sworn in by the mayor. The 34-year-old Collins is a graduate of Arlington High School and attended Tiffin University, graduating with a degree in criminal justice. Collins has spent the last 13 years with the Cary Police Department. 
Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning, talking about a fun event happening around town, around the area. The village of Mount Cory is turning 150 years old this year. And some folks have gotten together to put together a sesquicentennial celebration, which will be happening this weekend. Mike Noggle is among those who have had a hand in putting all of this together. And You were saying before we went on the air here that this all just kind of came together almost organically, like uh, people are sitting around saying, hey, it's 150 years, maybe we should do something. Yeah, maybe we should do something about that. <laughs> about uh, six, eight months ago, uh, things started germinating, but it's just been in the last couple months. Uh, the committee that it's just made up of volunteers. Doesn't yeah. even there's not even an organization putting it on. Mm-hmm. Has been putting together uh, a, what we hope is going to be a very enjoyable day. God has provided us with beautiful weather. It looks yeah, like it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so um, it'll it should be a fun day. We got a big parade kicking it off at two o'clock, going through the village, and then everything else. All the way up to about 7 o'clock or so, we'll be out at the park. Okay, so uh, give us the uh, rundown. Uh, you mentioned the parade. What else is going to be going yeah, on? Yeah, big parade at 2 o'clock, and uh, it took a while to even figure out how to say sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial, yes. that is a big word, yes. Uh, the 150th, <laughs> it's easier. Anyway, uh, we we have uh, craft booths and food trucks. There's going to be a, a chicken barbecue, but that was all pre pre-sale tickets okay. all right but we are having food trucks for those didn't but we had over we had almost 500 tickets sold for that chicken wow. barbecue wow so and that was just within like the last month mm-hmm. so that's been pretty crazy yeah. and, and wonderful live music we have a band called mix mixellaneous uh that's actually local out there mm-hmm. in mount Corey. yeah um and i from what i understand they won a uh uh, battle of the bands over in Cary not too long oh, ago. Oh, very cool. Uh, but they'll be there from 4 to 7. Uh, the Hancock County uh, Sheriff K-9 unit is going to be out there doing a demonstration at 3.30. We're hoping an air ambulance will be able to be there at 4.30. They will be unless an emergency call yeah, comes in, comes and obviously in, right? yeah. uh, they have to take care of that. Uh, we'll have uh, bounce house and kids games uh, for for them. Uh, touch a truck is going to be out there. We'll have other booths, craft booths, and, and 50-50 raffle and, and things that uh, – you know, gifts, baskets, and other prizes mm-hmm. that you can raffle uh, yeah. put in and, yeah. and get. And then the at 7 o'clock will be the opening of the time capsule from 1972, the centennial, uh-huh. the 100th. Oh, how about that? I think we found it. Now, did <laughs> <laughs> we had the uh, story a few days ago uh, about – I think it was a uh, – I think it was upstate New York. They were uh, having a sesquicentennial celebration. They didn't know where the old time capsule was. They knew it was there somewhere, but they weren't sure exactly where. They had to keep going to try and find it. W- was that something that, that everyone knew was was there? Did you find out, like, at the last second? No, oh, we, they buried the time capsule 50 years ago? No, we knew. Because oh, okay. there, there was uh, quite a big deal uh, done in 1972 for okay. the 100th. Yeah. But at the 100, they still had second and third generation families still there well, yeah. in the community. Sure. And, you know, Grandpa built the building down the street or mm. uh, Uncle Joe had the store. Yeah. Uh, well, in the last 50 years, a lot of that has changed. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of new people. I've only been out there two years myself. Yeah. I uh, am serving as pastor at Mount Corey United Methodist and uh, Pleasant View United Methodist. And I got involved because Pleasant View, which is just three miles outside of People are familiar with Union Township. We're right across from Clymer Cemetery out there. Mm-hmm. Their 150th year is this year also. Aha. Uh-huh. So we're doing some plans, and there'll be some things coming up in October. But the Mount Corey Church, which is right in the center of the village, mm-hmm. is was built 147 years ago. Okay. So, so if we've been there 147, 150, we should probably be involved. So. Yeah. Uh, and and that's kind of how all of this sort of came about, that, uh, you know, oh, it's uh, 150 years. And what does that say about the community that, uh, you know, so many people kind of got together and said, well, we need to do something and then made it happen yeah. like that? It's it's been interesting to see it come together, mm-hmm. and how um, once people heard what was going on, wanting to help or wanting to contribute or wanting to be sponsors or yeah. something like that, mm-hmm. uh, it's been uh, rewarding in that regard. For those on the committee, it's a little stressful. You think, oh my Lord, it's Saturday. Uh, <laughs> is this all going to come? Well, Saturday's going to come and go, whether we're ready for it or not. So, <laughs> That's right. But it, it's uh, it should be a wonderful day. Uh, uh, Mount Corey has uh, 
uh, has uh, uh, rarely seen big events like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this would be a fun time to celebrate the community. And and really, it's such a uh, such a terrific community. And certainly, Mount Corey is not uh, alone in that. Uh, in terms of just the close uh, the close knit nature of these smaller communities that we have all over uh, Hancock County. And I mean, it's just. There's something about those small town celebrations like this. Absolutely, and we're intrinsically tied, obviously, yeah. uh, with Corey Rawson, uh, mm-hmm. a combination, a sure. consolidation of those schools, right. and and so they're a very important part of our community. Interestingly enough, uh, I the one story I did learn because being there two years, I had to learn a lot. Yeah, um, that uh, when this was originally planted out in 1872, it was called Corey. Just, just Corey. Just Corey. Okay. And uh, when the post office came in, they were concerned that they would get confused with Carrie. Ah. So they added Mount in front of it. So that's mm. how it became Mount Corey. I've been here two years. I have yet to see a Mount. But <laughs> it is. That is that is true. I, I hadn't really thought about that. But uh, Hancock County is very flat. So <laughs> any town with the word Mount in it seems kind of out of place. But Now, the railroad track is a bit reason. elevated. So maybe okay. that's what the- <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. So uh, everything gets underway. Uh, Parade starts at 2. At that's two the, the, that's the kickoff. And okay. they'll be going clear through 7 o'clock at the park. You mentioned that the uh, the chicken dinners, and again, you talk about the uh, community response, 500 yeah. of the dinners sold yeah. uh, you know, for the uh, for the pre-sale. I don't know, there are 500 people in uh Oh, in no. Corey? I, uh, I, say, that, I checked I, just recently. The, the 2020 population is right around 229. So they are clearly coming from all over yes. uh, for this. Um, so those uh, tickets are, are sold. There right. will still be food, as you mentioned. Right. But for the parade, is there still time to get into the parade if somebody uh, is Yes, uh, you can get into the parade. Uh, Junior Wyrock is the uh, okay. one that he can contact. And okay. His number is uh, 419-889-4315. Okay. 419-889-4315. Uh, Junior does uh, does a lot of these, and yeah. he does a great job uh, organizing parades and stuff for different festivals around. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do the email. He doesn't do the text. So <laughs> okay. just, just call so, yeah, okay. or show up at 1.30. Well, the the, the uh, parade's going to be organizing at the uh, Legacy Co-op Elevator okay. on the south end of the downtown main okay. street which is state route 235 yeah and then going going north through the village to the park right down the main drag right, uh, right. to the uh, to the park and uh, again fun for all ages admission is free i'm assuming and all of yes that. Yeah. yeah so uh it'll be a good time and again it is all happening on saturday we've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information of the sesquicentennial celebration this weekend for the uh, village mount cory turning 150 years old and mike knuckle thanks very much for dropping by we appreciate it thank you very much Well, September is Baby Safety Month, so is your home properly child-proofed? This morning, we have some places to look and steps to take. You're joined by Turin Crepe from Safe Kids Worldwide and Brian Sansoni from the American Cleaning Institute. Brian, let me start with you. What are some uh, common safety mistakes that you see uh, with respect to the uh, storage and handling of cleaning supplies? Because this uh, can be uh, very dangerous uh, if you're not careful. Yeah, we often think about if we're baby-proofing or child-proofing our homes, for instance, you know, the kitchen or the bathroom where we'll often keep different kinds of cleaning products mm-hmm. using child safety locks or making sure the products are accessible. We don't often think about the laundry room. And new parents spend an awful lot of time doing laundry and well for a, a long time. Um, and so what you want to do there is make sure the laundry room uh, is baby-proofed and child-proofed. And when you're doing your laundry, ideally the, the kids aren't nearby, but if, if they are, make sure that the you know laundry detergent or laundry packets you use, you're putting that into the washing machine. You're not leaving it out on the countertop. And no matter how beautiful your laundry room may be, we've seen a kind of a upsetting trend on social media like Pinterest, Instagram, where people will take uh, cleaning products or laundry packets out of their original container, put them in clear jars and canisters and think it looks nice and maybe put it on a table or a shelf and heck, upload those photos, say, look how lovely my laundry room is. Mm. Actually, that is, we strongly advise against that. Those products are meant to be stored 
in their original container with the original instructions and safety information, and of course, inaccessible to young children. So don't invite um, uh, a safety issues. Keep products in their containers and away from children. All very good advice. Trin, what other uh, safety and, and health tips can you uh, add to that when it comes to protecting kids in the home? Yes, yeah, it's Baby Safety Month, and we really want to encourage parents to pause and take a break from work and take a step back to observe the home through their child's eyes. You know, check around for open cleaning product containers and ensure that any products are out of sight and out of reach, that you've sealed them and locked them and closed them when you put them up. We want to also, you know, just conduct a routine safety check of your home. Get down on the floor and crawl around and see if there are things that you know that they could get access to or get into that should be up and away. And one quick tip that I really encourage families to do is when you're shopping for these products, have them bagged separately before you bring them home. So mm. that's the first thing you do when you get in the home is put those products up and out of sight. Uh, that is a, a good, simple thing that we can do uh, to mitigate a, a danger that, again, most of us probably don't even think about. And by the way, uh, we should point out that this applies to everyone who might ever have a child in the home. Uh, even if you don't have kids, maybe have grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever it might happen to be. So we're talking about more than just our own kids here. Excellent point. Um, you know, families that are not used to having kids in their home may store their products where it's convenient for them. And we want to encourage you, you know, to practice these safe um, measures, just keeping things out of sight, out of mind and up and away. Yeah. Uh, holidays coming up. Uh, people are going to be in and out of the home that uh, aren't normally there. So uh, just a, a reminder with respect to that as well. And And part of preparation and being safe includes knowing what to do if because it's hard to account for every single possibility so uh brian let me ask you if an exposure does occur uh what then how can parents and caregivers be prepared for that possibility uh, a number that you should store right away in your smartphone cell phone have it uh, available in the laundry room or kitchen is the number for the Poison Control Center, uh, which is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number is 1-800-222-1222. In case of an accidental exposure, you dial up that number. Uh, hopefully you have it stored, as we said, and uh, the, the professionals they have here can walk you through very calmly and professionally what to do in case of accidental uh, exposure. So again, the number is 1-800-222-1222 for your regional or local poison control center. And by the way, just to piggyback on what you were mentioning earlier, another reason why it's important to keep uh, all of those things in their original containers because the uh, uh, instructions the, will have uh, safety information uh, in case of an exposure, uh, what to do, what not to do in the meantime while you're uh, seeking out professional help. Right, and that because you you can refer to that particular product. And because typically the poison control centers will have access to information about what's in particular products. So that's why uh, it's, it's so important to, to call them up in case something uh, unfortunate happens like that. Mm -hmm. You can talk about the product the, the child or, or person may have been exposed to, and that can, uh, that can help them help you more quickly. Uh, and Turin, uh, where do folks get more information? We've kind of touched on some of the basics, some of the things that people want to think about for uh, this Baby Safety Month, uh, but there is a lot more to consider. Where do we get uh, more info, more guidance? Yes, you can learn more cleaning product safety tips by visiting the Safe Kids Worldwide website at safekids.org or the American Cleaning Institute's website at packetsup.com where we have tips, checklists, to help you walk through your home to keeping your home safe. Again, Turin Crepe with uh, Safe Kids Worldwide. Brian Sansoni from the American Cleaning Institute with us uh, this morning. Thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. 
Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Everybody's got a fish story. Um, this is the story of a group of guys and their sons who were fishing off the coast of Maine on a fishing charter when a shark jumped into the boat. <laughs> Now, that's a fish story right there. Uh, Says here, a shark surprised a boatload of boys and their fathers off the coast of Maine when it jumped into their fishing boat. The Mako shark, is that how you pronounce the Mako shark? Uh, Was attempting to escape the fishing line when it landed on the boat. Luckily, no one was injured and the shark was returned to the ocean. (laughs) They threw it back. I wonder if they drew straws. Figure, you want to throw it back? I don't want to throw it back. Um, The shark was returned to the ocean. Mako sharks can grow to 13 feet long and are known to be quite acrobatic, apparently. The captain of the fishing charter, Dave Sinclair, said, quote, We've handled a lot of sharks over the years, but Makos are special. They tend to act wild and crazy. Okay. You say so. I, I could, uh, I could do without it. Take the traditional fish story there. Um, you know how these days uh, police officers are uh, subject to so much abuse, uh, being assaulted by suspects and and all that. Here's another, here's another story. It's from the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office in Arizona, uh, which posted an update on social media uh, describing an encounter. Uh, with a suspect named Billy, uh, who caused damage uh, to a local, is causing vandalism, damage to a local community, is vandalizing, and and apparently he uh, relieved himself on a deputy before he was apprehended. Relieved himself on a deputy. Now it should be pointed out that Billy is a goat. <laughs> is a goat that had gotten loose, caused damage to a garage door. And chased a resident around her car. <laughs> so causing all kinds of mayhem. Uh, when the police arrived to take the goat into custody, Billy peed on the officer. <laughs> uh, the uh, sheriff's office uh, said Billy was charged with trespassing, assault, criminal damage, and disorderly conduct. <laughs> Seriously, though, the uh, goat was rounded up and turned over to uh, livestock control. Oh, you talk about uh, an indignity uh, police officers have to deal with on a daily basis. The indignity of it all. Uh, This sounds like the uh, start of a bad joke. Woman walks into a bar carrying a raccoon. But it actually happened in North Dakota, leading health officials to warn those who were also in the bar at the time... Uh, to go get tested for rabies. Uh, Bartender Cindy Smith said she was serving drinks at the Maddock Bar in uh, North Dakota when a local resident brought brought a raccoon into happy hour. There were only about a dozen people in the saloon at the time. She said she immediately asked the woman to leave, but instead she took the raccoon around the bar to show the other customers. She eventually departed with the animal after about five minutes, but they're not taking any chances. Warning people. Woman walks into a bar carrying a raccoon. It's the punchline. There is no punchline. Go get tested for rabies just to be on the safe side. Another animal story in the broken news. <laughs> uh, a cat in Suffolk County, New York, that has been missing is back home. Uh, after Apparently, the cat came home on its own and rang the doorbell to be let in. Seriously. Lily the cat had been missing for a week. From a family in Mastic Beach, Suffolk County, New York, uh, the family uh, tells local news reporters that the uh, cat it wasn't really found. The cat just came home and rang the doorbell late at night. Uh, it was one of those doorbell cameras, so they check the doorbell rings, and they check, and lo and behold, it's their cat outside on the porch on the camera. Uh, all is uh, well. That's <laughs> just weird. Okay, let me back in. I'm done now. 
a substitute gym teacher in Louisiana is out of work after allegedly offering students $5 each to assault one of their classmates. What? Female, uh, police say the female substitute teacher bribed five different students and three ended up attacking the classmate late last month. The incident was caught on video, which appeared to show the teacher making no effort to help and congratulating the students who participated in the attack. She was arrested this week on five counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. And she's probably not going to be called as a substitute teacher anymore anytime soon. I would think. It's crazy. Uh, a couple of other items. It's a big day for the broken news here. A Miami, a Miami man is suing the fast food chain Jack in the Box after he and his family were shot at at the drive-thru of a local restaurant in Houston, in the Houston area. Anthony Ramos says an employee pulled out a gun and shot at him back in 2021 during an argument that started when uh, Mr. Ramos said he didn't receive the curly fries he had ordered. So the employee... Uh, took out a gun and started firing. Uh, fortunately, no one was seriously injured. The suspect was arrested and is now in jail. But Mr. Ramos has filed suit claiming that Jack in the Box needs to use better hiring practices. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's a reasonable request. I mean, <laughs> I realize that we are a very litigious society today and, you know, lawsuits we file at the drop of a hat these days. Some of them are rather, rather frivolous, but I think he's got a point. <laughs> I think the restaurant really needs to evaluate their hiring practices if something like that happens. And finally, in the broken news this morning, <clears throat> I love this. You talk about sweet revenge. A man in North Carolina by the name of Omar Khoury dragged a bunch of telemarketers to court and is sticking it to these headache makers by opening a bar with the settlement money. <laughs> Mr. Curry uh, from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, he says, I got so many phone calls every day for car warranties and debt relief and student loans, life insurance. It just goes on and on and on. And uh, he said his number was on the do not call registry, which if your number is on the do not call list and they call you anyway, you are legally entitled to sue them, uh, the telemarketers, for damages. That's very difficult, very complicated, and uh, it is a long, drawn-out process. It's not easy. But Mr. Curry said during the pandemic he had a lot of time on his hands, so that's what he did. He filed a lawsuit against all of these telemarketers. And eventually, he won. Um, let's see. Uh, actually, what he did was he contacted the telemarketers, threatened to sue them unless they settled out of court. So far, he said he has received over $100,000 in settlements from these telemarketing companies. So then the question was what to do with the money. He decided <laughs> to, to take the money that he had gotten from the telemarketers and open a bar. <laughs> He's launched a new business. And uh, by the way, the name of his new establishment, it's called The Wrong Number. <laughs> uh, the a bar will have a soft opening next month and uh, on the menu will include drinks like the car warranty and debt relief. <laughs> He says, going after telemarketers isn't an easy job and requires a lot of patience. But he says, in the end, it was definitely worth it. <laughs> there you go. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Oktoberfest Finley is back September 24th from 2 to 10.30 downtown. This family-friendly festival has become one of the largest single-day events in Hancock County. It includes live traditional German music and entertainment, a variety of contests, authentic German food from vendors like Schmidt's Sausage House, the Kinderplatz Kids Zone, and a selection of more than 40 domestic 
and German beers. Admission is $5 for 21 and over, $3 under 21. Visit OctoberfestFinley.com for more info. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So now that uh, summer vacation season is over, is a bit of a postscript on this. I thought it was kind of interesting. A new poll uh, on what we do with respect to technology and staying connected while we are away from home. And we think about the idea we go on vacation to disconnect or maybe even go off the grid. That's what we say, but that's not what we do, according to this survey. It was conducted by one poll on behalf of AT&T. They surveyed 3,000 adults, that uh, group that was evenly divided between Generation Z, those between ages 18 and 25, millennials between the ages of 26 and 41, uh, and uh, Generation X, uh, 42 to 57-year-olds, and baby boomers age 58 up. And uh, for, for millennials, they say they actually stay more connected with friends and family while they're traveling away from home. Uh, only 37% of Gen X responders say that they were more connected with other people while they were traveling. So kind of interesting there. Uh, preferred methods of communication with other people while they're traveling. Uh, text messaging, calling, and video calling in that order. Gen Zers are the ones that are doing the texting. Millennials use those video chat apps. And Gen Xers uh, are the ones that are doing the phone calls. Um, presumably the baby boomers, are the ones that are disconnecting the most. But I thought this was really interesting to the extent that none of that is necessarily surprising uh, about the habits of some of these age groups, uh, their relationship with technology, even when they are traveling. This, I thought, was interesting across all age groups from Gen Zers, the youngest Gen Zers at age 18 to the oldest baby boomers, which I think the oldest person in the poll in the poll is like age 76 across all age groups. 60% said that they would be completely lost if they misplaced their phone while they were traveling. Again, we say we want to go on vacation to disconnect and, quote unquote, go off the grid for a time. But that's not what we're doing. 60% said they'd be completely lost if they misplaced their phone while they were traveling. Now, to be fair, I know for, for myself when we travel... Uh, I try not to use my phone too much, but I do use Google Maps to get me where I'm going, especially places that I'm unfamiliar with. So if I were to lose my phone in that respect, uh, that would be a big deal. But uh, it was kind of interesting. 60% say they'd be completely lost if they lost their phone and they're traveling. More than a third, uh, 36% to be exact, uh, say that they don't feel like they have had a real vacation Unless they post about it on social media. (laughs) What does that say uh, about uh, our relationship with technology? 36% say that they don't feel like they've had a real vacation unless they are posting about it on social media. Well, we have a whole studio full of people here uh, today. Uh, joining us, uh, members of the cast, uh, to uh, preview the upcoming Fort Finley Playhouse production of the comedy, The Savannah Sipping Society. And from the cast, uh, Gene Daniel, Heidi Raymond, and Daphne Bauer. Have I got all of that right? Okay, I'm off to a good start. Uh, along with uh, director Patrick Davis. And Patrick, thank you very much for uh, dropping by as well. We certainly do appreciate it. So uh, the Savannah Sipping Society is a, a comedy, as we said. Uh, it's based on the uh, book, which I have not read, so I was reading the uh, synopsis of this, and uh, as I was reading it, it kind of struck me that uh, it, it's a bit of a mashup of, um, well, for guys, like Last Vegas, if you've seen that that film, as kind of that, you know, uh, rediscovering, you know, the yes, youth, a yes. uh, little bit of... Even the sisterhood of the traveling pants thrown in, uh, yeah. maybe a little bit of um, uh, fried green tomatoes, kind of uh, designing women, designing and women, golden okay. girls, yes. golden girls. Yeah, there we go. Maybe, uh, yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on here uh, in the show. Well, it's four ladies who meet. Well, three of them meet happen at a, 
happened to meet at a yoga studio. They decided to get together, um, and it just snowballs from there. Um, they Jinx, my character, kind of throws them into situations and... It's, yeah. So she's kind of the instigator of the whole thing? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> okay, all right. And uh, so what? Uh, talk a little bit about your uh, individual characters and you know what they kind of bring to the table here on this. You were mentioning Jinx is sort of the Jenkins instigator. Jenkins is my character, yes. Okay. And she, she wants to be a life coach, and so she's trying to get these ladies to do all kinds of crazy things. And, <laughs> and she's just, she is one humdinger of a gal, is what they say in the script. And, and she really is. Yes, yes, she really is. So um, my character is Marla Faye Mosley. She is a Texan who is done with Texas. Um, Uh She is recently divorced. um, And uh, kind of a kind of a cynical outlook on uh, maybe a little bit. Yes. Okay. Kind of. She she tries to be upbeat, but she is very very southern and very. country um okay. she is um not refined um <laughs> no not, filter she did not graduate from finishing school no, no. she did not no filter no filter no filter no all right she is um and let's just say that she has some absolutely fabulous lines yes she does <laughs> it's kind of the plum roll yes. yeah, yeah. yeah and okay. it's very different from my own <laughs> well that's you know how how often does that happen where on stage you kind of re- discovers something that's completely outside of your comfort zone outside absolutely. of your regular personality and, a perfect example absolutely yeah. this this lady is not like me <laughs> <laughs> the director and, keeps telling her to Trash it up. Yes, yes, that's true. A little more trash, please. (laughs) My character is Dot Hagler. I'm the oldest of Mm -hmm. the group. Um, I am a retired French teacher um, who just kind of goes along with whatever is happening (laughs) and uh, is enjoying the this new thing that's yeah. fallen into mm-hmm. her lap and every every now and then wondering what in the world is going on and how did i get involved in all of this um i don't think so i think she's right in the middle of it okay really. yeah. all right yeah. kind of embracing the madness yeah. Yeah. she is were. almost like a grandmotherly type okay taking Definitely. these lovely ladies Definitely. under her wing clueless as to how she can do anything to help them because she's in her own crisis mm-hmm. okay so mm-hmm. so uh patrick it's interesting. It's a uh, you know the lead characters are all women. It's a very female centric story. Obviously, you're not, not a female. Not lead. So. <laughs> all the women, all the characters are female. There's just the four women. Uh, Aaron Williams plays Randa Covington. Mm-hmm. She rounds out this cast, um, and it's very interesting. I'm trying to not look at it from a male point of view. Yeah. And there's a lot of times someone says, well, women wouldn't do that. Say, okay, then let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the inmates running the asylum occasionally. On this Very yes. much, yes. Okay. yes. I get it, I get it. Um, now, did you did you know the, the story before the the play? I mean, I see a couple of you saying, yeah, you, so you've read the book? Um, yeah, it, I okay. read the book. I, am, I saw an excerpt of the show a okay. few years ago and then I went and saw a full run of the show two years ago okay. and just really enjoyed the story mm-hmm. so when we um, did play reading we so it's we one of those where you said oh I gotta do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited for well, that it's the, it's the same author group that did Dixie Swim Club that we did uh, a couple years ago that was a huge success at the Playhouse yeah, yeah. and it has that same empowerment feeling mm-hmm. that Dixie Swim Club did. Well, is, that, is that kind of what people walk away from? I mean, as comedy, you're going to have a good time, uh, but I would imagine you know there's some something deeper under oh, the surface. Yeah, yes. there are several yeah. uh, deep moments. Yeah. We have yet to make it through a single yeah. rehearsal without tears yeah. mm. um, because they're, the moments are, are so very touching. Mm-hmm. And um, real. And, yes. real. Oh, and there's real. some beautiful life lessons I think to be learned. If, I mean, it's not preachy by any means. Yeah. But I, I mean, I really think you could take take something away from this. Yeah. Um, and even though it is, you know, set, it's a southern setting, and uh, and all of that is, 
those themes are universal. Yes, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Women um, find themselves in middle age, and and a crisis can throw them over the edge, and they don't know mm-hmm. how to get their lives back mm-hmm. on track. Yeah. That's right. And so <laughs> these these ladies ha- are learning how to do that together, mm-hmm. and um, really they they um, become a family mm-hmm. instead of just being happenstance friends. Yeah. So, uh, Patrick, tell us all of the, uh, give us all of the details. We mentioned uh, tickets for this are on sale now. You open a week from today. We open a week from today. Tickets on sale right now online at fortfinleyplayhouse.org or the ticket number 567-525-3636. All tickets are $15. Uh, Shows start at 8 o'clock except for the Sunday shows which are five o'clock runs. Okay. And you can um, get tickets at the door. Can get tickets at the door if we're not sold out. Yeah. Sold out. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that this one will be a very popular one. And, and you know, we've talked about this before. It seems like every time we have uh, you folks from the uh, the Playhouse in we mention this, it, it's a great place to see a show because it is so intimate. And I would imagine, especially for a story like this, yeah. uh, that really kind of adds to the impact, I would guess. Absolutely. There, um, there, there are moments when we directly address the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's not a response show. Right. We don't need response from them. Mm-hmm. But because we address the audience directly mm-hmm. to tell our stories, they, they really feel like they're immersed in. It is one not to be missed, the Savannah Sipping Society. We've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information. Again, uh, tickets are on sale now. Opening night is one week from today. And again, uh, Gene Daniel, Heidi Raymond, uh, Daphne Bauer uh, with us from the uh, cast, uh, Director Patrick Davis. Thanks very much for dropping by, guys. We appreciate Thanks, it. Thank you. Thank you. Break a leg. And with that, we finish up our podcast for today. And, of course, we want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, as we know, Intel broke ground for their Ohio facility last week. And now we get the rest of the story. Will there be enough highly skilled and trained people to fill the thousands of jobs the project will create. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.